0: Shakespeare can turn up almost anywhere. How long have you been planning to kick my dad off the throne?
1: Since the day he banished me.
0: I can die a thousand times,
1: just please.
0: From here on out, this is about to be the biggest and baddest company in hip hop culture. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the new era of Hakeem Lion, (laughs) y'all. Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. This podcast is called The World in Empire. That clip you heard a second ago was from the Fox TV series Empire, the story of an aging ruler, in this case the head of a hip-hop music dynasty, who sets his three children against each other. Sound familiar? As you'll hear, From its very beginning, Empire has fashioned itself on the plot of King Lear. And that's not the only Shakespeare connection to the program. To explain all this, we brought in Empire's showrunner, the woman who makes everything happen on time and on budget, Eileen Chaikin. She was interviewed by Barbara Bogave.
2: Well, Empire seems as if its elevator pitch was a hip-hop King Lear.
1: Is, was that the idea from the start? Yes, as I understand it. Now, I didn't create Empire. Right, because you're
2: the showrunner. Yes. You, first there's a pilot, and then the series mm-hmm. gets picked up, and then yeah, they Yeah, it was created
1: up. by Lee Daniels and Danny Strong, and as I understand it, that was the idea. Danny Strong wanted to write about hip-hop. He went to Lee, and his idea was, let's do King Lear in hip-hop.
2: And it seems pretty literal in that it's explicit in the pilot. There's exactly. a reference
1: to King Lear. Exactly. It's it's literal in the conception and in the modeling of the show, and it's actually put on text. Yeah, remind for people who didn't hear the pilot. So, and, and
2: also the premise, which is it's three sons, not three
1: daughters. Right. So it's a father who charges his three sons each with earning the right and privilege of inheriting his company, his kingdom. It's called empire. It's all very literal. Yeah, his name is Lucius. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The patriarch. Um, And in the premise establishing scene, which is a scene probably five minutes into the pilot, when Lucius sits his three sons down at his dining room table and says... One of you three is going to have to take over this company.
0: Your brother and I have been working hard to turn Empire into a publicly traded company. Now, part of us going public means ensuring a legacy for this company. And right now, it seems none of you are prepared to take over after I'm gone.
1: Lucius already knows or believes that he has a fatal illness and he puts it to them one of you's going to have to prove himself you're competing against one another to take over this great billion-dollar company that i've created
0: now it won't happen today nor tomorrow but i will start grooming someone soon
1: and one of the three sons jamal the most sensitive, the most artistic, the most honest and pure, um, and the one his father is least likely to favor, says, what, are we King Lear or something? What is
0: this, we we, we King Lear now? Call it what you want, smart ass. but over the next several wait, months wait, I will make a wait, decision. What are you saying? We're all in competition to be the future head of the company?
1: And, and I think that, um, you know, probably we should... Believe that Jamal is the only one that would go there. Jamal is the one who has the literary framework to even understand that reference.
2: And there are a lot of reverberations and 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 foreshadowing. And in some ways, it's closer to the lion in winter, right? Because in and that, that, you
1: have a husband and a wife using yes. the children in all these ways and as pawns and and their three yes. sons rather than three daughters. And Danny also was explicit about the lion in winter. He said, "This is the lion in winter." That's what I'm doing. It's King Lear. I'm not sure that this is correct, but wasn't King Lear the underpinning for The Lion in Winter? I mean, isn't it, um, you know, a reference and an inspiration that now goes through several layers of interpretation?
2: Now, as we said, you're the showrunner, so you you came on after the series mm-hmm. got picked up, and it already has this this Shakespeare flooded intention. Mm-hmm. Was it clear to you how you were going
1: to practically follow through on that, though? No, not initially. My job in coming on as the showrunner to carry out somebody else's vision, Lee right. and make Danny's it vision. To... Is, it's to make it work, but it's also to really explore it with them. They're very involved in the show. And especially in the beginning, the first thing I did was sit down with them and talk to them at length. It's a very kind of psychological interview, a mind, meld, interview, right? a mind yeah. meld. It's all of those things. You know, what are your wishes, intentions, um, and so on. And neither of them has ever Done a television series? Has he? I mean, Lee is a filmmaker, a director. Danny is a screenwriter and an actor. He's acted in television shows before, but he's never created one that's been on the air and had to tell stories week after week. So I talk to them about all of the things that are important to them. And one of the things that comes through is these Shakespearean themes are core to our concept of the show. And we want to really stay true to them. And it's not that we're literally doing Lear. That's going to have to fade away. uh, Yes, it'll have to fade away, or at least take on a life of its own. But the themes of the show should always feel Shakespearean. And so we talked about all the different ways in which that can happen. And one of the things that I've done in my own shows, has been to find something that doesn't expressly wind up on the screen, but that informs the thinking behind a show. It's, you know, how do you name your episodes? How do you contemplate your themes? And I suggested that maybe every episode we should find a quote from Shakespeare, and it can be anything. I mean, I think we've stayed with the plays. We're not going to sonnets. but. Every single episode, we find our themes and we always define a Shakespearean theme or story in the episode as we're breaking the story. And the scripts, you know, the audience never sees this, but every single script has on the title page a quote from one of Shakespeare's plays comedy or tragedy. Right, and in, in, in you have Out Damn Spot and A to Brute and, and Poor Yorick. Exactly. Yeah. And further to that, every episode with the exception of three that were written by Danny because he likes to choose his own titles, but every episode is titled with some portion of a quote, and we, we try to be not random about it, but we find... Sometimes something that's not all that familiar that says it in a way that isn't that isn't cliched.
2: I find that really fascinating. And as a showrunner, you think about it's very much about um, construction and and form, right? You, that's what you, among other things, bring to this, bring to a script, uh, especially a television script. So, what do these quotes do for you all there in the in the writers' room?
1: They do a number of things. They help to pull us back to our themes because breaking an episode of television, especially when you're doing serialized drama, is is hugely challenging and you always wind up going off in a million different directions and you need something to pull you back to the show. Now, it's the characters primarily and the stories you're telling, but we always find several moments during a story break when we go back to that quote, when we say either are we being true? to these themes, or if we're lost, how can these themes help us to find our way? So, it, so it's like the guiding light. Yeah.
2: That's so interesting. Now, and going back to what you said before, uh, that Lee Daniels and Danny Strong and you were very adamant about this series reflecting Shakespearean themes and, and
1: style and, and, and honing to that. What did that mean? I'm not sure that it meant the same thing to the three of us. To me, it means that the show should always have a kind of epic grandeur. And and the show attempts to do a number of things. It attempts to feel real and grounded sometimes, and at the same time, live in this heightened world of extremes, of
2: yeah, and, and because
1: it's very operatic,
2: yes. and it is a soap opera, so it's so yeah. operatic. But can you give us some examples of of hewing, you know, staying grounded, but then soaring to, to something
1: something Shakespearean? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, we we talk about contemporary life, contemporary issues, things that are happening in the world: poverty, crime, racism. Those are grounded issues and issues that we take very seriously. And at the same time, we take these very soap operatic turns, sometimes ludicrous, mostly I hope not altogether ludicrous. For instance? Jamal has a daughter. He had no idea. She appears out of nowhere. there are far more deaths and murders in the lives of the lions than there are in the life of your average hip hop mogul, I would say. Um, oh, to be sure, yes, um, really anyone's <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is
2: this is this is really uh, bringing up something that I was thinking about before we started talking, which is that I just saw King Lear, a production, and I hadn't seen it in a while, and it reminded me how that play just whips you back and forth between comedy and tragedy. And you stay with it if, if both are done well. And Empire has a way of doing that
1: as well. But well, that hopefully is another way in which the show is Shakespearean and takes its cue from Shakespeare.
2: Can you give us an example of that, of, of swinging from high or low comedy to drama, serious I would, drama.
1: I would go right to the pilot. you're coming out, Mama? told you to stop asking me that. Where's your father? He's been coming to see you today. Cookie's arrival, yeah, okay. and that first moment that she appears on screen, she's in prison, that's, an, and it's done with pathos, with seriousness. Um, when you see her in those flashbacks when her young son comes to visit her, those moments are very, very real and grounded. How you doing at school, old man? My friends are picking on me. Besides to my lunch, I'm afraid to tell Dad he'll tell me to fight. Listen to me.
0: You different. Okay? It's only something Mama knows, but. It's gonna make life hard for you sometimes. But I want
1: you to always remember, I got you. You hear me? Come here. And then she walks out of the prison in her fur with her hair up and drops her first one-liner cookies back. For a queen, you sure do keep a messy place. What you need is a good maid up in here. You cooking chicken?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Did you fry uh, it?
0: Nah, it's stew. Stew. Wait, it might be a little stewed, stewed, stewed chicken. To you, so we like it, so you know. Uh, who is this? Hi, oh, Michael. Oh. Michael. Uh, we sort of living together. Uh, but I'm a, i know you're oh. hungry. Oh honey, you
1: didn't tell me you was dating a little Mexican. Look at her, she's adorable. Yeah, I said little Mexican.
2: <laughs> we need to get La Cucaracha to clean up around here, baby. Uh,
1: you and and when she walks into Lucius's office and calls Anika Boo Boo Kitty,
0: baby, we gotta make sure we take hey.
1: <laughs> Boo Boo Kitty. Hey, Tyree, what's going on? I think that's a defining moment of the series, and yet it doesn't in any way undermine those those very real moments between her and her son that are absolutely heartbreaking. It's not an easy thing to pull off. No,
2: it's not. Yeah, is it, and does that go back to the acting, or is it the interplay of the script and the and the skill, the the subtlety of the acting?
1: It's absolutely both. It's it's the scripts and it's the acting. You can't do it successfully without superior actors, and that is one of the things that Empire has that I think makes the show such a phenomenon. Terence Howard and Taraji Henson are spectacular actors and actors who have a range and a skill set that you don't always or often get in a television show. Right. And that Terrence Howard plays
2: Lucius the Patriarch, and, and Taraji P. Henson just won uh, an Academy Award for uh, Hidden
1: Figures. Well, her the movie won the movie, an the Academy, Academy Award, the and Taraji has won a Golden Globe for her portrayal of Cookie. She's been nominated for an Emmy for her portrayal of Cookie. And they both do this high drama and extraordinary comedy without missing a beat.
2: She's amazing. She's incredibly strong, incredibly compelling and complex, and incredibly colorful. Everything about her, her clothes, her language. So she always has that comic, that like life force edge to, to her character. Yeah, she's a life force and a force of nature. Well, I noticed... That Empire fans can really go down uh, rabbit holes with these Shakespeare parallels. i was I was trawling in some in some discussion groups. And the fans will talk about the traits of certain characters on the show and compare them to the traits of Shakespearean characters, Of course. For instance, Andre, one of the sons, his wife Rhonda, is a kind of Lady Macbeth figure. And I guess you could say the most obvious Lady Macbeth figure could be cookie, really, because she's, So strong. She could. So powerful and she has a conscience. Does the writer's room think of either of these characters or any of these characters in terms of their Shakespeare roles? Does that come into play when they're when they're writing? It sometimes does, but it's fluid.
1: It's we're 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 not rigid about it or rigidly locked into any of those touchstones. It changes from time to time. But one story, and this is not my story, it's a story I'm passing on, as um when Lee and Danny were casting the show, they auditioned Trey Byers, who plays Andre, and I know that he gave a great audition. They loved him. I I can't say whether he was their first choice or, or coming into the room, but he apparently turned to them after a great audition and said, I know my character, I'm Iago, and Danny said that was when he got the role.
2: <laughs> I wonder if no. he caught wind of any of the of the of mm-hmm. the uh, King Lear
1: hip hop uh, elevator bitch. So, well, Trey is a Yale trained actor, so you know Trey came into this really knowing his Shakespeare, knowing his references, and you know some of the younger actors don't have that same set of references as him, but. They so all are finding right their it. characters. He just yeah. knew what he was doing, who he was playing.
2: Well, along these lines, Jamal uh, is the, as we said before, the very emotional, the worthy, the pure, uh, and thoughtful son. And he's he's kind of a Hamlet or a Romeo figure. He seems like certainly fans pick up on that. Yeah.
1: Again, it's it's not terribly literal, but you can find him in any number of plays as that tormented, hopeful, doing his best to, you know, rise above the calumny of his father and his family. Good Shakespeare word there.
2: (laughs) How will his story go forward? Will it go in a Romeo or Hamlet direction?
1: Well, interesting you should ask. um, Because, you know, in every season, we've just finished season three of the show. And at the end of each season, or the beginning of each new season, we have to regroup and say, what story are we telling? What are our touchstones for this new season. And we, you know, when we got to season three, we said, are we still doing Shakespeare? <laughs> and, oh, that's interesting. And huh. then everybody said, well, of course you never stop doing Shakespeare. And it's not as if you run out of stories. And so they you know, the writers groove on this Shakespeare inspiration. Yeah. Okay. And going into season four, and and this is a little bit of a spoiler because this I'm not going to tell you how or why. Um, because it doesn't really come up until the very end of season three. We go on the air on Wednesday night with the second half of our season. We've got nine more episodes. And at the end of the season, we're setting up for season four. Well, Jamal in season four, is we're doing Romeo and Juliet with Jamal in season four. Well, get out. That's a scoop here <laughs> mm-hmm. on your You heard it first here. You heard it first.
2: <laughs> wow. Well... I could see Jamal going either way, Romeo or Juliet.
1: Well, I'm and, not even sure
2: I know what that means, whether the seducer well, or the seduced. And or,
1: we're doing we're doing the Montagues and the Capulets. And in that sense, okay, that so sense. two
2: families fighting it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and entwining. Exactly. Oh, how exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so that brings me to this issue of actual language and, and Shakespeare and empire. And, and we've talked to a number of hip hop Shakespeare people on, on this show, and there are obvious parallels between hip hop and iambic pentameter in terms of rhythm and also this popular culture form, which Shakespeare was in, in his time. And it made me wonder whether those parallels come into play at all when in the writing, in the language of, of television.
1: They come into play, though, perhaps less explicitly and less consciously. Lucius is prone to Shakespearean speeches. Lucius, to
2: monologues. Yes. Uh-huh.
1: Lucius yes. can deliver can a that. monologue with grandeur, and he's often talking about his empire, his dominance in words that although they aren't Explicitly lifted from Shakespeare certainly have Shakespearean resonance. They have weight, and they have, and he has amazing rhythm. That's and, true, and a very King, a very Richard the Third kind of. And of course, we have also talked about Lucius as Richard the from time to time. Oh, to inform a, a plot or inform his character? Both, um, both. There was um, a moment in. I'm trying to think. I believe it was season one, I, you know, we have to pitch stories to the network and the studio from time to time. Tell them where we're going. Talk them through our thinking. And I recall this long conversation in which I said, think of Lucius as Richard.
0: Damn, Lucius. You said you was going to bring the heat, but dang, that's about time. <clears throat> last year, I've been attacked from all sides. gangsters feds, in the family. Yeah. Speaking of
1: which, Lucius is railing against all of his misfortunes. His family has abandoned him. He's just—he's standing alone in that field, looking for his horse. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, and and that resonated with t- absolutely, yeah. And and we do go back to that for Lucius sometimes because Lucius does feel beleaguered in in a very King Richard way from time to time. Well, another thing that we've talked a lot about on this podcast that I think is relevant
2: here is this idea of cultural legitimacy and Shakespeare and how nations and cultures all over the world have claimed Shakespeare in in some way and made it over in their image, whether it's in small villages or small theaters in India or Mexico or Africa or hip-hop productions, as I said, on Broadway. And I watch Empire and I think this is so great. Empire is claiming Shakespeare – as its own, as a as a uh, primarily African American staff, African American um, origins. It's about hip hop, and it's claiming it for television in a way that I I haven't seen in a long time. And since you were the showrunner also on the L Word, which claimed its own space for uh, for lesbians on television, I wonder if uh, what your thoughts are on this on Shakespeare as kind of a, a cultural uh, and agency for cultural legitimacy.
1: It it always has been always will be. I think that that it's so completely embedded in empire is not unique but distinct. There've been lots of television shows. I mean Romeo and Juliet is the you know, it is the Shakespeare play that's most often recycled in movies, in television. Um, the number of times I've heard that pitch or even seen a show go on the air, which claims that as its premise, I mean, it's it's at least in double digits. Oh, sure. It's a cliche now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there have been... There are many, many others that have, you know, just shamelessly taken um, and owned their Shakespearean roots, and and we're going to keep on doing it. And it does belong in every culture, in every genre. But hip hop is, I think, especially suited to Shakespearean language and themes and stories, and in. Once again, in the eighties, I worked for Quincy Jones, um, and I was the senior executive in his company. And I remember that we flew to New York with great excitement because somebody was doing a hip hop version of, and I can't even remember it was one of the comedies. It might have been um, Measure for Measure, but it was big, and we just and and Quincy Jones flew in to see it, and it was seemed like a wild novel idea to do Shakespeare with hip hop. And we saw it, and it was just so clear that this was going to happen again and again. It probably wasn't the first, and it certainly wouldn't be the last. It's just, it's, it's made for it.
2: Now, switching gears again for a moment, you're from Philadelphia. Yeah. And, and uh, suburban Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So am I, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and it, it, our education was grounded, not grounded, but we got a lot of Shakespeare I can't say we did a lot of it uh, on the stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that wasn't the direction of my school. But and it, it did make me wonder what your earliest connection was to Shakespeare and whether it came from school or being a theater kid or mm-hmm. your parents.
1: I don't have a deep Shakespeare, early childhood connection. Um, I went to public school. I was reasonably well-educated, but not profoundly well-educated. I read Shakespeare and studied Shakespeare in a superficial way. I was a little bit of a theater kid, and I did do Shakespeare on stage once. I remember that I played a prince. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I, I think of it more as a, a seminal gay experience than a seminal Shakespeare experience. But nonetheless... Um, so you
2: identify with the gender fluidity. Mm-hmm. Yes. hmm Yes. Yeah. Do, do you find yourself harkening back to that?
1: I do. Really? In yeah. what
2: way? Do, can you think of any time as you've been on working on Empire that it kind of, oh, right, this is what I loved so much about Shakespeare?
1: Well, although although we don't need Shakespeare now to talk about gender fluidity, the fact that it's so inherent in Shakespeare and that we talk about it in the show just feels like another and — and not just talk about it, but portray and talk about sexuality, sexual orientation, gender — feels like yet another Shakespearean theme that just is manifest in empire that's true and and i
2: it i was thinking that i read somewhere when you worked on the L word that you had showtime executives yelling at you don't just hire lesbians just hire good writers <laughs> they can write they can write gay characters no problem and you realize no they can't they can't do that. And and looking at the writers' room on Empire, you have what you have twelve of them. You have five African American women, two white women, three African American men, one Afro Latino man, and this is just unheard of. I think only one white guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so to bring this back to to Shakespeare, it's pretty. It's it, I mean, obviously he's remarkable in so many ways, but how do you rate him as a white guy on writing women and the more and these gender fluid characters?
1: I don't rate him. I just take. (laughs) Um, But the story you told about the L word really informed my approach to empire. It was very clear to me. um, I mean, there was never a question that the show should be staffed with and written by primarily African-American writers. And to have those African-American writers now taking Shakespeare and interpreting it through their prism is what works. It has to be, those two things need to be married in the storytelling in order for it to mean something. Otherwise, you're just taking it farther away from the culture that it purports to represent. It has to not purport to represent the culture. It has to be the culture.
2: Oh, that's a really rich prism that mix of ethnicities soaking in Shakespeare and coming out into a, into hip-hop television. So looking ahead on Empire, do you see an evolution to the Shakespeare in terms of its how it inspires the writing, as in deepening or changing season to season?
1: It changes season to season. I don't think that the show can or should become more or less Shakespearean, I think that there's so much to pluck from that we're just going to keep finding our references. We'll tell a different story. We'll find a different Shakespearean template, maybe a different tone, maybe a different play. And that's how the show will continue to live in this kind of realm that that it's Kind of claimed, while also continuing to evolve and hopefully not repeating itself. You know, you must have had moments.
2: I just imagine the writers' room where they just say, like, "Okay, enough with the Shakespeare thing. <laughs> we got it. We got to get
1: back into into real hip hop culture here." Um, we we try to always do both, and it's it's what I was trying to describe earlier. It's sometimes we forget Shakespeare, and I mean not not willfully or intentionally, like oh screw that, we're not doing that anymore, but just we're telling our stories, we're delving into the culture, but then we go deep into the story that we've told and say, what's the Shakespearean element or moment or meaning to this story that we're telling? What's the favorite moment for you, say, the
2: Shakespearean element in the season so far?
1: It's going to come at the end of the season, so I can't talk about it um, in terms of plot, but it's... All about the Shakespearean ruse, the manipulative king, the person who's not whom, you know, who he or she appears to be, and the way in which love conquers all and things come together in the end, that's going to be my favorite Shakespearean moment. Of the whole series? Possibly of the whole show, and certainly of the season. Oh, that's exciting. That's something yeah. to look forward to. I really
2: look forward to this, and I am so enjoying binging my empire. So thank, thank you. you so much, and thanks for, for this so much. Thank I mean. you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Eileen Chaikin is showrunner for the hit Fox TV series Empire. She was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. The World in Empire was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern Pastor and Esther Farrington. We had help from Jeff Peters at the Marketplace Studios in Los Angeles. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge and the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.